Quick note before the episode begins. On this new series of the Arzequi podcast, we are going to be passing the mic over to some of our colleagues from our department so that they can share with you the interesting EU projects that we work on. But don't worry, Tima and I are not going away. We'll be back soon. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to Ars Equi, the podcast on all things law and technology. I'm Philip, And I'm Salim. And on this episode, Digitize. Welcome. Thank you for your interest. Um, today, we would like to present you the project Digitize. Um, which is called Digitized Computational Social Sciences in the Digital and Social Transformation. So unlike the projects that were presented in this podcast so far, this is not an EU project, but is funded by the Austrian Federal Ministry of Education, Science and Research. Um, so Digitize is an interdisciplinary and inter-university project in which the University of Vienna, the Johannes Kepler University Linz, the University of Graz and the University of Salzburg are collaborating. The project is led by Professor Silvia Kritzinger, who is uh, the deputy head of the Department of Government at the University of Vienna. So we would like to start with a reference, uh, which is very current. Um, Frances Hogan, who used to work for Facebook, she's a whistleblower. She testified before the US Congress and basically said that um, Facebook's own research shows that it amplifies hate, misinformation and political unrest but that the company hides what it knows. So we can generate interesting insights by looking at digital data. Salim and I are part of the project. Um, I'm a lawyer, he's a political scientist. Um, there are working groups in our own fields, but we're also working together in a working group um, to show and try to cover all legal and ethical aspects of digitalization broadly and computational social sciences specifically. But uh, first, let's introduce ourselves. Yeah. Thanks so much, Philip. And maybe just one thing to, to have on the way as we continue this, this episode is that computational social science really generally deals with questions that are of interest to the social sciences, but that they use computational methods and digital data. So um, Philip really just underscored how relevant this is, not only in industry research, but also in academic research. Yeah, so um, my name is Selim. Um, I'm a PhD student at the Department of Political Science under the supervision of Professor Barbara Preinsack. Um, I did my undergrad in liberal arts at Maastricht University. And so liberal arts mean that I studied some sociology, some political science, um, as much law as I could get, but just not enough to become a lawyer myself like Philip. <laughs> Um, and a little bit of philosophy and philosophy of science. I then moved on and did a master's degree at Sciences Po in Paris and at the Freie Universität in Berlin that was in public policy and political science. Um, I wrote my master's thesis and I think that that's interesting because it shows how we kind of ended up here. I wrote my master's thesis on algorithms and discrimination and kind of became very interested in how technology is of course not neutral and how it can contribute to things which we can as a society collectively decide to not be all too fond of. And that's how I ended up um, at the University of Vienna and in this PhD project. I won't say too much about what I'm doing in my work package because we'll get there in a second, but yeah, I'll just hand the word over back to Philip so he can introduce himself. 
So I'm an university assistant as well. I work at the Department of Innovation and Digitalization in Law. I studied law at the University of Vienna. I'm under the supervision of Professor Nicolas Forgo. Um, I work for the project as well, um, of course, and um, on my PhD, I, like my key focus areas so far are media, copyright and data protection law. I have worked for several law firms in, in Vienna um, and my PhD studies are is about generally spoken about liability of platforms and everything platform law. I also coach um, the University of Vienna's team of the Monroe E. Price Media Law Moot Court. Um, yeah. So Selim will now introduce uh, the project, or we will both introduce it actually, um, and say something about the structure and what is going on in the project generally. Yeah, thanks so much, Philip. So generally the project, like Philip said earlier, is inter-university and interdisciplinary. And in that nature, and to kind of continue that, um, it also studies a very multi multifaceted phenomenon, which is that of digitalization. And it kind of, um, in, in all its forms and how it really transforms society. Um, so overall, or let me pick maybe two aims which are particularly interesting for the project overall. And one of those is to really foster interdisciplinary collaboration of social sciences, data sciences, mathematics, computer science, and statistics, and law, of course, which I forgot to put in my notes, but I don't want to upset anyone listening to this podcast that goes without saying. So that's one of the more lighter projects, or that's one of, the, one of the main aims. But then there's also the aim to really research and develop um, new data formats, data processing, and data analysis techniques. And as these things are developed, we also want to accompany them by, by covering the legal questions more in terms of basic research, but also very applied. But Philip will get into detail about that later. But of course, not only the legal questions, but also the ethical questions, which I will get into detail about later. Um, yeah, the project consists of work packages, and we've picked a few to just exemplify what we deal with. And um, Philip will introduce one of them just now. So one per, uh, package, which is uh, probably one of the most essential in this project, um, is the collection of digital individual data. Um, and the aim is to design and develop um, an Austrian-wide digital panel. So this is done within the framework of Work Package 2. The aim of this work package is to establish a panel through which social science service of the Austrian resident population can be conducted at regular intervals. Um, so this would help start service surveys quite easily. Yeah, and we'll get into detail about how that's done later. Um, another very interesting work package is, of course, all of them are interesting, is um, Work, work Package 5, excuse me, which deals with the digitization of social science methods training and some of the key questions that um, our colleagues are trying to answer um, in that work package are um, how is the teaching of social science methods changing as a result of the ongoing digitization of society, but also which topics and contents are relevant for the future-oriented teacher of social science research methods, and also how can, how can they be implemented. But we don't only want to stay on that level as a project where we kind of have a bit of a more general perspective on it and or not or uh, not so super applied. And we also want to get kind of practical and more um, to an applied level. And so in part, that's the work of Work Package 6 called um, Experimental Data Science Lab. And so one of the 
goals of that of that package is really the development of a master's level course called computational social science will consist of a lecture but also um, have an integrated tutorial and is really geared towards teaching students basic data science skills and how to apply those to social science problems. So um, I'm just reiterating that so you can all understand that we're really trying to cover this on different levels here. Um, so we've reached a few milestones so far and we're presenting a selection of those. So some of us have wrote a commentary in the Harvard Data Science Review on, on how to use data science better um, to get through the next phase of the pandemic. And we also really reflected on the role that, that researchers should take in that process. Um, some of the results of Work Package 5 on the social science methods training um, were presented at the 7th International Conference on Higher Education Advances. And another milestone, which I think is yet to be realized, will consist of a MOOC, a massive open online course, which you will be um, kept up to date if you visit our website. Yeah. Um, of course, we don't know all that too much about the other work packages. We know more about our own work packages. And that is why Philip will briefly introduce his own work package. Yeah, so I will um, talk about the legal aspects in the field of digitization and computational data processing. As I said, I work on this under the supervision of um, Professor Nicolas Forgo and with my colleague uh, Paul, who also works at the Department of Innovation and Digitalization in Law and who is also the host of RSA Queen. Um, so as lawyers, our work in the project essentially consists of two parts, um, compliance and on the other side, basic legal research. So one of the milestones um, which we started um, at the beginning of the project was to set up a help desk. Um, the help desk essentially served other non-legal project partners um, to address concrete legal and ethical questions from their scientific practice. Um, so the questions and our elaborated answers provide a good picture of the legal implementation, or sorry, the legal the legal implications of the project, and ensure compliance with mandatory legal requirements. So it's basically what I started with: compliance and basic legal research. On the other hand, um, so at the beginning, of course, we dealt with data protection issues. Um, the main focus was to to discuss the legal basis, um, since data processing for research purposes is so to say, partly regulated separately in the GDPR. So therefore, it was necessary to deal with the individual provisions, in particular, Article 89 of the GDPR, but also with specific Austrian provisions such that are found in the Datenschutzgesetz and the Forschungsorganisationsgesetz, and to discuss under which circumstances the processing of personal data for research purposes is possible at all. Um, it was specifically necessary in the project because as we already presented, a, digi a digital panel was to be set up um, and within this framework, personal data was to be stored and processed. So we looked at legal issues around setting up this digital survey, um, survey panel. Um, data from the central register of residents. Um, so the aim was to store data from the central register of residents and then to contact those um, persons and invite them to particip participate in the panel. 
So from a data protection perspective, the main issue here was the lawful processing of this personal data in accordance with Article 6 and 9 of the GDPR. We also dealt specifically with Austrian regulations, as I mentioned before, uh, in the Forschungsorganisationsgesetz, in order to ensure that all data protection regulations are complied with. Um, furthermore, also in this context, uh, we thought and discussed the implementation of the technical and organizational measures required by the GDPR um, and have provided concrete instructions for the social and data scientists, how they can apply with those um, regulations. Um, so another big issue in this was, of course, um, the consents. Um, to processing um, the consents of the participating individuals. Um, it was therefore up to us to discuss and set out the basis for effective consent. Um, consent also um, then, consent was also important in our interdisciplinary work, law, law and ethics, um, which we'll talk about later more in detail. So in this context, we also um, talked about um, children and um, if children could could participate in the in the survey and if they could consent um, in their in the in the processing of their data, um, which is of course an interesting topic and was also talked about in this uh, podcast before in in last in the last episode which is called Privacy for Kids. So if you haven't heard it, check it out as well. <laughs> um, another exciting uh, implication of the project, which is not only about um, data protection, but also about copyright, is a legal issue surrounding text and data mining. Um, since a working group applies text and data mining um, for research purposes, so uh, text and data mining basically means any automated analytical technique aimed to analyzing text and data in digital form in order to generate information which includes but is not limited to patterns, trends, and correlation. So text and data mining was not explicitly regulated by law in Austria until now. So therefore, when we first dealt with it, uh, we had to first check under which conditions this is text and data mining in Austria is even possible and which data protection and copyright regulations have to be observed. So what currently um, concerns us in this field is that is the implementation of the copyright directive of the European Union because it contains a provision on text and data mining and thus creates a, a uniform regulation throughout the Union. So the Austrian government just presented their draft um, and introduced text and data mining um, for research purposes into the Austrian copyright law. And as a project, we have dealt with this very intensively and are also um, commenting on that draft of the government. So the work in the exchange with a social and data scientists has already shown a clear picture of which legal issues arise in the context of computational social sciences. We were able to use any questions arising from practice to also conduct basic research in legal science. I would now like to hand over to my colleague who will report on the ethical aspects of the project. Yeah, thank you so much, Philip. Um, so I think one thing which makes this project particularly unique is something that Philip was already talking about, and that is basically that you have questions of very basic nature in terms of 
them being basic research, but they're also applied. So you really, the shortcomings and what needs more, let's say, basic legal research or basic social science research, political science research, um, arises from applied problems. So social and data scientists in the project encounter specific problems and need guidance on it. I think that's something that makes it very unique. Um, so work package eight is called, and that's the one where me and Professor Barbara Prince are working on, is called ethical and societal aspects of digitalization. And from that, I personally also kind of modeled my own dissertation on, which is called the ethics and governance of computational social science. So I will now essentially talk about a few changes which are happening with with the digitalization of the social sciences and with computational methods and digital data being increasingly used in the social sciences. So one thing that is, that is very interesting is that um, cl classically speaking, or let's say in quotation marks, traditionally speaking, when social scientists do their research, they think of a research project, they think of a question that they want to answer, and they kind of head out and collect that data in whichever method, it might be an interview or, um, or something else. And um, so that data is then specifically collected for the purpose of answering their research question, more or less specifically. And so what's changing now is um, that data is often collected for other purposes. So let's, for example, talk about um, digital trace data or clickstream data. That's the kind of data you leave behind when you click around online. How long do you stay on this Instagram picture? Did you click on this advertisement? Did you not click on this advertisement? Did you engage with something um, or not? And so that data is usually not collected for the purpose of research, but for a different purpose. So let's say in the, in the case of a social media platform, they really are collecting that data to improve their algorithm according to some metric. Let's say it's usually engagement really, but let's, yeah, let's stick with the example of engagement and it can be something else, of course. Um, so in the course of doing that, all of this data has been collected and some researchers refer to this data as incidentally collected data. So that's, that's one of the major things that are, are changing here, not necessarily, but that can be changing here. So data is collected for other purposes. Um, also, and this is the second dimension that I want to get into, that data is then often owned, not by the researchers, because it would, they would, it would be owned by them probably not in a legal sense, but I'm not sure, um, would be owned by them if they've collected it themselves or created it themselves. But if it was collected um, by a different entity, let's say the company, the company also owns that data. And um, as the company owns that data, the company can also restrict access to that data. So another interesting aspect is relates to long-term access to research data, not collected by by yourself as a researcher. So um, for example, in last August, a story broke from a researcher um, at NYU and she and her team, they were trying to research the spread of misinformation on Facebook. And all of a sudden their, um, their accounts were disabled. So their access to data was initially uh, essentially cut. And they were informed of this by an automated email, which said, Facebook says, uh, so, which says, um, that they used unauthorized means to access and collect data. And so it shut, um, it shut down their accounts essentially. Um, now let's take a step back and in that research, um, the researcher was able to, preliminary results showed that um, 
it could be demonstrated that extreme unreliable news sources get more engagement, that is user interaction, on Facebook at the expense of accurate posts and reporting. And that was just preliminary, but of course, if this research goes further, this generates important insights both for policy, for government, but also for Facebook. Um, and so what I really want to get at uh, here is that if the data is not owned by yourself, your access to that data can be cut kind of at will of the owner of that data, which is um, which which just doesn't guarantee that you can long-term use it and um, keep studies replicable, kind of. Yeah. Um, the researcher itself uh, herself goes so far to say that um, Facebook sent her a clear message which said, um, you have to stop essentially from examining how we operate and other more structural questions then include whether whether there's kind of a whether we deserve to know as a public about how these companies operate. Um, yeah, but let's we can also um, become a bit more concrete and as this as the dissertation, but also the um, this work package also deals with research ethics. Um, there is also an interesting change in how research ethics frameworks that were initially developed for medical science really um, are becoming less applicable to computational social science. So let me walk you through it by, by means of an example. Let's say you're conducting a study in psychology and um, I am the study leader and Philip is my study participant and I warn him beforehand, I will, I will show you some pictures and they will elicit a reaction and I want to understand how you react to that. And one of those pictures shows something that's very scary to Philip. So he kind of, it kind of puts him in distress. So the idea, the underlying idea here, or what I'm getting at is that the moment of harm emanates from, or the potential harm emanates from the moment of data collection. So I warn Philip of that beforehand and I tell him, do you want to participate in my study? Please sign this document and and I, the underlying idea is that I know maybe he will be put in distress from what I'm about to show him. But that's what the research ethics are kind of built around. They're kind of informing him about that. And so something that's new now is that because data collection is now not necessarily done by, this, by the researchers themselves, but beforehand, like I just explained with this incidentally collected data, that the research ethics framework is then no longer applicable because the data has already been collected. And it turns out that a different harm can really emanate from the moment of analyzing the data or aggregating the data. And that relates to the type of information which you might be able to extract from, from such fine-grained data, but also um, from potential risks of re-identification. Yeah, there's, of course, many other things that are interesting, but I thought that those were, they kind of give a good overview of what really is, um, what really the current developments here are. Yeah, so like we've explained, we were, Philip is a member of Work Package eight, uh, 7, excuse me, which deals with the law, and I'm a member of Work Package 8, which deals with the kind of the ethics and the governance. But the structure of this project also allows us to work together. So, and then when we work together, we're no longer working in a working package exclusively, but we're working in a working group. So Philip and I are part of one working group, and he will present to you what we're currently working on. Yes, uh, as I mentioned before, consent um, is... Um, a construct that we're both working on and that uh, where we, during our work for the project, um, realized that um, it has legal aspects and ethical aspects. So that's why we 
realize that the GDPR relies on ethics. And in order to work in accordance with the GDPR, you have to understand ethics or understand what the GDPR relies on. So we um, are currently working on a research paper that shows the relationship between ethics and law, more generally speaking, but also in research and in, in accordance with the GDPR. And um, we're not giving too many details. This is a teaser, so to say. Um, but you can, for like updates and more information, um, check our website. It's digitizetransformation.at. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, thanks so much, Paul and Timo, for having us on this podcast. Um, we hope that you've learned something and that you've found it interesting. Thank you for your attention.